Today we dedicate this wonderful instrument to God. This organ that was years in the dreaming here in this place and because of the incredible generosity and response to God's grace was built here right in the height of the pandemic. This organ houses pipes from a different congregation than ours, a Catholic church that over a hundred years ago likewise dedicated it to God's glory. And since today is Reformation Sunday, I'm tempted to say that we liberated the organ from its previous bondage, but I, I won't. When Michael asked if I would deviate from the lectionary and preach on this text from Ephesians for this occasion, I started thinking about the text and Reformation Sunday when we celebrate the now over 500 years of Reformed theology and worship and the day we dedicate this pipe organ. Built in Montreal with old Catholic pipes. And so I immediately thought, as one does, of Aretha Franklin. Several years ago now, Aretha Franklin died, and I came home to Kim blaring respect on the speakers. R-E-S-P-C-T, find out what it means to me, and I admit I was a little frightened. But as the evening went on and I became more aware of what we were celebrating, we listened to Son of a Preacher Man and Freeway of Love and Chain of Fools and learning even more about her personal history, her involvement in the civil rights movement gave these songs even more power. They seemed to rise to the moment that she was living through. Here was a wise woman who did not suffer fools easily, a powerful black woman who found her voice at a time when African Americans were struggling for their rights and black women often seemed subservient to the needs of men. I learned later that Aretha Franklin's best-selling album contained none of the songs that we played on the speaker that day that so many people were remembering and playing after her death. No, it was her best-selling album was one that was recorded live with James Cleveland and the Southern California Community Choir at New Temple Missionary Baptist Church in Los Angeles. It remains the best-selling live gospel album of all time and the best-selling album of Aretha Franklin's 50-year career. And the album was simply called Amazing Grace. So I had a chance to listen to her sing Amazing Grace on that album. And she spends what seems like 30 minutes on those two words. Amazing Grace. She uses her upper and lower registry seamlessly as if she's plumbing the heights and the depths of those two words, the length and the width of the inexhaustible grace of God, the vowels seemed never-ending. 
And by the time she is done, as you can imagine, everyone is clapping and singing and standing and making melody, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, giving thanks at all times and for everything. And this ultimately is the image that we are left with after our brief reading in Ephesians. We're left with the image of a church service. The people of God together singing and giving thanks. And Paul invites us in this text to recognize that the ground of our living as followers of Jesus Christ is in this amazing grace, in thanksgiving that pours forth as response to God's grace. So the church service, Paul imagines, comes at the end of a brief meditation on wisdom and foolishness. Rich themes, you recall, in both the Old and the New Testaments. Wisdom, Paul says, is directly related to the way one uses one's time. Intimately connected to time. And the text is anchored by three Greek words, all that begin with the letter alpha, the A. And they're constructed in the same way we might construct words like amoral, which means not moral. Do not be asophos, not wise, but sophos, wise. Do not be afron, lacking sense, but sensible. Do not be asocia, lacking sobriety. First, there's wisdom and foolishness. Wisdom comes from taking care with the time that we have. Being mindful how we use our days. Our days are numbered after all. We're only given a set amount. Use them well, Paul says. And when the days are evil, it becomes even more important that as followers of Christ that we order our days because each day we are given is an opportunity to practice the way of Jesus Christ in the world, to counter hate with love, to counter indifference with engagement, to counter violence with peace, to bless others, to serve others, This is the wise use of one's time in the world. Every day we awaken, it's a grace. Every hour we are given is a grace. Wise persons use that time carefully. Eugene Peterson wrote a book several years ago that I have close at hand, and I make a point of reading several times a year at moments of great stress. And when I feel that stress, I pull it down from its familiar place on the shelf and read just the first few words that guide me back to center. The book is called The Unbusy Pastor, and it begins with these words. The one piece of mail certain to go unread in my wastebasket is the one addressed to the busy pastor. Not that the phrase doesn't describe me at times, he writes, but I refuse to give my attention to someone who encourages what is worst in me. I don't think it's just pastors. A frenetic pace, 
A full to overflowing calendar, a rushing about means inevitably that I am not able to attend to the one thing most needful. I can wear busy as a badge of honor in this culture that places such value on the lack of time. But I fear that Paul might call it foolishness. And he associates wisdom and foolishness with being drunk. Do not be drunk with wine, he says. And let me be quick to say to all of my Presbyterian siblings out there, this is not going to turn into a sermon on the evils of alcohol, though I do think Chardonnay is rather pernicious. (laughs) Paul is ultimately not talking here about alcohol consumption, but rather about drunkenness, which he goes on to describe as debauchery, The problem seems to be that if the followers of Christ are drunk, they are not able to be careful about the way they live their lives or make the most of their time. To be drunk is to walk through your day and night unaware, unable to respond, unable to trust your own discernment. So I wonder if we couldn't place many things here in place of wine pursuits that deaden the mind, that cause us to check out of life, that can become quite addictive. We're surrounded by those pursuits, it seems to me. And it's difficult for us to maintain the attentive posture that Paul calls for here. We, after all, live in the real world with its many distractions, with its competing voices, with these vast amounts of information, Cultivating wisdom seems like more than we can do. It feels like Paul is just telling us one more thing that we have to do, adding it to the long list. Feels like a setup for failure. But Paul doesn't walk away after he prescribes wisdom to us. Rather, he turns around and walks into the sanctuary and beckons us to follow him. He ushers us into worship. Instead of being drunk with wine, be filled with the Spirit. Sing, he says, sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, giving thanks at all times for everything. It's a call to substitute life-denying practices with life-giving practices, to focus the mind on habits that over time usher us into a life of wisdom. And that brings us back to Aretha and to this instrument that we dedicate today. Aretha's music that day in Los Angeles, and I believe the reason that it remains the best-selling album she ever put out and the best-selling gospel album ever put out, had power because it emerged from a thankful and authentic heart. All you have to do is listen to that album and you know she's filled with thanksgiving. Her authentic voice comes shining through. And this instrument behind me here is the gift of many thankful hearts will also pour forth its music with power because it accompanies, it leads, 
the worship of the people. Apart from the worship of the people, I'm just going to be honest, it's not a wise investment to build a pipe organ. If you go on Spotify right now and you look up the rankings for music, pipe organ tunes will be very close to the bottom of the list if they even make the list. But that's not what this instrument is dedicated to doing. This is not a concert organ. It is a tool for worship. It has been built here to enable us, the people, all of us, to be attentive toward God. Its pipes, as you heard Michael say just a moment ago, are powered by the very wind, the breath, the Spirit of God to summon us away from distraction to the font of true wisdom. Its music pours forth alongside our voices, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, that we might do that one thing that our Reformation fathers and mothers said was our chief end. You remember, it's the very first question in the Westminster Catechism, our catechism, to glorify God and enjoy God forever. And for those Spotify users who would curl their noses up at so old and supposedly outdated an instrument, come to us on Easter and listen to this thing rock out. And then maybe, just maybe, you'll want to hang around to hear all of the other sounds, soft and subtle, loud and wall-shaking sounds that echo, I believe, the hosts of heaven as they sing forever around the throne, hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth, and he shall reign forever and ever. Amen.